You're listening to Dear Joseph, the podcast where we answer all your financial questions. This is a pure conversation podcast. Disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor, and nothing I say should be considered as financial advice, but purely for entertainment purposes. Someone recently gave me the book called Dividends Don't Lie. Asked my critique about it. So I figured this would be a good thing to uh, podcast about. The premise of the book is that if you invest in in exclusively blue chip stocks that meet certain criteria and invest at, at certain times of the market, you will outperform and you will have a very good portfolio. And there are a lot of assumptions about this that need to be addressed, which I was really surprised that this was pawned off of as actual good reading material. Meaning these are like really professional people and they're telling everyone that this makes sense, but I'm going to point out for a load of reasons why this is a terrible idea. I'll explain the theory in a little more detail and we'll try to address why I take such issue with it and why I'm so surprised that this is a somewhat mainstream book. I read a lot of books on finance and a lot of them say things like, you know, don't, you know, try to create trends or whatever. And I thought that was pretty mainstream. Like everybody kind of knows now, like don't try to create like uh, trends and charts. Usually it never works out. Uh, Usually these, you know, cockeyed theories don't outperform. Uh, There's a history of not outperforming. I was very surprised that there are still mainstream books out today telling you how to outperform. But the preface is that if you look at financial statements, they're always doctored, right? They get the best accountants and they try to reinterpret all the laws and they try to, you know, they they try to have as much write-offs as possible and they try to have as much uh, profit as possible and pay as little taxes as possible. And because of that, you don't get an accurate understanding of the balance sheet of a company. So they say, what is the most accurate way to value a company? Well, if they pay consistent dividends, because you know that if money is leaving their account and going out, going out to, you know, the account of the shareholders, so you know that they have the money to pay for it. They then say, when is it a good time to buy shares? It's when specifically blue chip stocks, because for reasons unbeknownst to me, non-blue chip stocks do not have the same safety, do not have the same um, the same following, and, and may not be traded the same way as the so-called blue chip stocks. So whatever these couple hundred blue chip stocks are, if you specifically buy those blue chip stocks when it's trading a, when the price is trading where the yield, meaning the amount the dividend it's paying compared to its share price is above a is above historic averages that's when you're supposed to buy that's when it's undervalued and it's overvalued when it's uh, below average when it has when you have a, a much lower yield and it, buying time is when it's when the yield's high and the price is l- and the stock price is low compared to its dividend and selling time is when it's high compared to its low yield or at least uh, the time not to buy is when it's high compared to when it has a lower yield. When my friend told me about this before I read the book, I kind of laughed at him. Uh, I know he's listening anyways, but uh, I, 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 I think there are so many issues on its face that makes this not uh, very intelligible. For starters, there are many blue chip stocks that have broken this rule. 
And I'll, I'll name a couple just offhand. For example, Enron. And they actually talk about Enron. The book was published pre-Enron, or part of the book was published pre-before Enron collapsed. Enron collapsed because it was a, considered a blue chip stock, and eventually there was a lot of accounting fraud, and they had good dividends and everything, and, and it collapsed. And that was a company where you could have bought it when it was cr- incredibly undervalued, or even compared to that metric. Or you could have bought it even before the scandal, because maybe the scandal was the time to get out. Maybe they would have said, well, Enron is in a scandal, so obviously you shouldn't invest in it. But uh, if you would have bought it prior, you still would have ended up with nothing. Or another example is GE. GE also accounting issues and other financial issues and mistakes that they made caused GE, which was once the largest company in America and the world, to not just remain stagnant, but to lose much of its share, to lose it, to decrease in price of share and in market cap. And if you would have invested and followed those principles on a perfectly good company, you would have ended up losing money. Another example is maybe IBM. IBM was once held as, you know, the Apple or the Microsoft, the, the HP. It used to be the leader of the industry. And now it is very clearly not. It's still relevant and perhaps on the rise again, but definitely nowhere near the Titans it once was and has actually been decreasing from from its highs for a few years. It might be recovering a little bit now, but again, it's a stock where if you would have followed the principles of the yield for reasons, and this is a company that didn't have any scandals or accounting issues like GE or Enron, you still would have lost money. And there were probably countless. If you look at, the, they, they printed out a couple hundred stocks if you looked at the whole thing, you'd notice that for a lot of these stocks, besides um, not outperforming or not doing incredibly well, you've actually might have lost money. And another, just one more example, is AT&T. AT&T is a company which right now, if you look at it, they spend too much money on stuff. They, they spend too much money on their dividend, and they have not been sufficiently growing and 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 protecting their company and now it has the highest possible you know extremely high dividend but it's mostly because people because there's a lot of risk because people are afraid that it's going to collapse another point is investing on dates of high yield misses you misses out on returns from those dates an example i always like to give is i wish i could have bought the uh, the S&P, the NASDAQ, at the height of the dot-com boom. You know, even though it collapsed and it took years to recover to its new heights, whatever it was then is much lower than what it is today. And I even said that on the worst day in the coronavirus market in March, I would have preferred, I'd still like, love to buy shares at the, at the price from the end of the, to- the heights of the dot-com boom. The reason is, is that just because the stock is at its all-time high, just because it uh, has a lower yield, it doesn't actually mean that it doesn't make sense to purchase it. If you look at a lot of, when you look at a lot of companies, there are various good reasons why it might not be changing its yield or create, you know, adding or raising its dividend, and there could be good reasons to cut it, and it has nothing to do with whether with with I, what's going on as a company? It's a perfectly fine company, but it did want to raise its dividend for 
certain reasons. Investment strategy does give a grace period, but for like a few months, maybe a couple quarters, maybe a year or two, for certain companies that don't f follow the criteria, but it's still, there, there are plenty of good companies that don't follow the criteria and grew. And there are plenty of companies that did, did, did follow the criteria and were bad. There's also the problem of having people not invest in certain times. If, as mentioned before, if I could have invested at certain times, even if it was at all-time highs, it's still there was a good possibility that, that these companies would continue to grow and you would lose out on a lot of returns. You lose it, and even if in the future you'll get the you know the lower yield, but still the price was lower all those years ago when it when it had the when it had the lower yield, as opposed to the, the how it's the higher yield now. Meaning the yield to price ratio uh, went up, but the stock price also went up, and you lost out on all those capital gains. And just because, with that in mind, you can see why this theory has a lot of problems. You are missing out on a lot of really good investment days. A lot of data shows that if you invest at all-time highs, will actually cause you to gain money in the future to outperform or at least perform regularly. Well, this will create losses for you to wait for those opportunities. You'd end up having less gains or less capital gains going forward. Also, the assumption that dividends tell you more than the balance sheet is just ridiculous on its face. I agree that the balance sheets are for sure made by you know expert lawyers and uh, and um, accountants, but that doesn't mean that they are completely off. And if they're completely off, especially the post Frank Dodd, it's going to be a real problem for the company. It'll be pretty easy to spot uh, in short amounts amounts of time. And um, and, and to say that the dividend would reveal more than those balance sheets is ludicrous. Nothing is told by dividends. In fact, there are many companies that take out loans to pay dividends for certain short periods of time. Unfortunately, some pay for long periods of time, and those companies suffer greatly in the long run. So th that part of the theory just makes no sense. Next is there's this assumption that investors will gain experience over time by by making bad investments. It was not so connected to the, the theory itself, but this is something that they presented, which is also wrong. I know lots of stupid people who make stupid investments and will continue to make stupid investments. And they'll just say, oh, I'm smarter now. Now I know what I'm doing. No, wrong. You don't get become an investor, a better investor from experience. You get become a better investor from knowledge. And very often it takes a exorbitant amount of knowledge, assuming you don't have uh, inside knowledge, to get to a place where you can even begin to talk about outperforming broader markets. So that also doesn't make sense on, on its face. Also, the, comp, the, the book uses or assumes that dividends are a fixed income. That's also not true. If you look in this year in the, during the coronavirus, a lot of companies had to cut dividends or not pay dividends. And there are other companies which for some reasons couldn't pay dividends either for good reasons, they, they, they had other big projects, bad reasons, because um, you know they didn't have the money to pay things. It doesn't make sense to look at dividends alone. There are also a lot of other things to look at when valuing a company. It's assets, it's it's risks, it's competition, it's, it's growth potential. To just value it on dividends alone isn't actually valuing it a company. It's looking at it like it's a bond. And 
if you just look at it as a bond, it doesn't make sense because you're not going to be paid back the premium. You don't know what the stock price is, is going to be in the future. You don't know if the dividend is going to continue or it's going to have to be cut. And there are lots of examples of former, there are a lot of examples of blue chip stocks which would prove that this theory wouldn't make sense because you would have ended up losing money. Just because you think they're safer doesn't actually mean it's safer. Just because you create a group of stocks and call it some nice name doesn't actually mean there's an extra margin of safety. In conclusion, what you need to do is actually look at stocks before you consider if they're risky or not. And then after that, you can consider whether or not uh, it's a good investment. Dividends have no impact on the company. You could see a, uh, you could take a look at one of my more recent articles, dividends versus sharebacks, where I, the first the the first of that series is on dividends, where we pretty much explained that dividends are not a tell-all sign, and you need to look at the company, and you need to think rationally, and you need to think safety, like I mentioned in previous podcasts when looking to invest.